Welcome back to Cyberdeck Users Weekly, a show I do two or three times a week or sometimes once a year. And today, a, a very special guest with me, uh, the creator of Linux on mobile, or LinMob as I like to call it, uh, Peter. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Paul. Great to be on the show. Yeah, this is this is really exciting. I um, I've been kind of out of the game for a while and wanting to do another episode, but just hadn't really nothing like clicked like a really good topic. And then uh, you caught me on Twitter, and uh, the stars aligned, and now we are I don't know seven hours apart, but uh, we're together in spirit, and we're going to talk about. Uh, Linux on phones. Yeah. So you you have been running uh, linmob.net uh, since you said 2007? Yeah, it's been different back then, but that's when I started. What was the what was the original um, thinking behind this? Uh, the original thinking was uh, I started to blog about my experiments and you know, I didn't really know nothing back then. Uh, so, uh, with the Motorola phones that ran Linux. Um, which which phones were those? Those were the phones that ran the EZX platform, which I think Motorola had mainly sold in China early on, and then also in Europe. Uh, I had a Motorola A. 780 back then and an A910 and the A780 was special because it had a touch screen but also a dial pad uh, you really need to look that thing up it looked super weird and which, which one was again I was looking up the A910 the A910 was special because it had Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi but it was a normal Flip phone, as we called them back then, I think. And the 780 was, uh, yeah, <laughs> an ugly beast. But it had GPS in its European variant, which I never had. I had bought one on eBay, but I had ended up with the Asian variant, which um, didn't have GPS. This is looking a little familiar. Okay, wow, yeah. dude. Uh, they 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 came to market in two thousand late two thousand four those A seven eighties. And what was was the draw for you at the time? Like it's Linux. I love Linux. Or what were yeah. you thinking? Yeah, <laughs> that precisely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had been hyped up by the then already announced uh, Open Moco. I think it was still the Neo nineteen seventy three, and we'll go into that later. Um, and so I figured, like, that there had been Linux phones before because I was an avid tech news reader. Mm-hmm. So I knew that there had been the, the first one had been by Motorola, the Motorola E680. And so I figured, well, you know, also there was a project called openezx.org, 
at the time that, that tried to run a mainline kernel and um, f fully open source user land on these things um, and somehow never succeeded, unfortunately. But uh, so, but I felt like, oh, this is going to be imminent. This won't take long, right? How hard can it be to put an operating system on a phone? Right. How hard can it be? <laughs> How hard can it be? Turns out very hard. Um, and so I, I had bought that uh, Motorola i seven hundred eighty, and uh, played around with it. It was uh, nice for phone calls because it has this, uh, yeah, like like a clamshell or flip phone. You could flip it open, and then it was very long. So that was very comfortable for phone calls because you had the microphone before your mouth mm. and the earpiece right there on your ear. <laughs> and also it had a touchscreen with stylus like things were back then, yeah. One of those resistive... So this is like yeah. almost... I mean, this is almost kind of a contemporary. You said 2007. It's kind of a contemporary of the iPhone or were these a little earlier than that? These were earlier Okay. Uh, like uh, the the A780, I think, was announced or available even in late 2004. So those were earlier. Uh, um, but yeah, technically not that far apart. Um, but yeah, you know, you had a tiny 2.6 inch or 2.5 inch uh, QVGA, uh, quarter VGA, that is touchscreen uh, that you had to access with a stylus and the keyboard was really tiny and alternatively you could switch it in a mode where you would uh, yeah, like like on those old palms they had some kind of graffiti clone okay where you would have to draw the characters so it had that flip down um, physical keyboard and then you, we could also draw on with the stylus yeah, uh, and then what would you? What did you do on there that you like? <laughs> like, were you in the were you in the terminal? Like, yeah. Well, you had to install, if I recall correctly, uh, a terminal app. But you could do that. People had hacked it enough so that you could stay on this uh, Motorola supplied Monta Vista Linux OS. Uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, then you could install a terminal, and I managed to pull that off at least. And there were some other apps. I think I, I once watched one of the Simpsons movies with the included Real Player app. Wow! So the first movie I ever watched on a phone. Uh, but other than it's... that, yeah, I, I would <laughs> try to use the terminal. I would try to. Uh, compile um, then later, but that was on the A910 uh, a VPN client, for example, but I couldn't get it to work because I was at university at the time and I wanted to get on the VPN Wi-Fi network. So you were already a bit of a, a, a Linux user at this point. It seems like like you yeah. had the, some, some of the knowledge of, of how to get around on this thing. Yeah, I, I had some Linux knowledge, but I, I figured, I, I, you know, just because you're able to uh, put a then CD or DVD into a computer and boot that up and uh, go through that graphical install process. Uh, so I only got involved with Linux uh, after installers were graphical. I think my first distribution was something like 
SUSE Linux okay. 7.0 or something. And and what what is this what is this mindset? What is drawing you to these things in the first place? Uh, like uh, I mean, at that time, um, yeah. like you said, early graphical installers. Uh, like I I remember hearing a lot about uh, Linux at the time, and I'd kind of like play with it. And maybe I'd like burn it to a CD or DVD or something like that. Install it. Nothing worked very well, and then I'd like kind of give up. And like, well, yeah. you know, Mac works well enough. Windows works well enough. Like, what what's what's pulling you towards towards this alternative? Well, for me, I think it came down to that I had grown up on a Mac, uh, but then when I was still in school, I certainly couldn't afford a Mac. My parents wouldn't buy me one. We then had a PC, and I didn't really like windows so i tried to experiment with other things so i also I ran um like then bos for a while mm. and yeah linux was fun in a way so it felt like well this is something that you can really totally break <laughs> <laughs> and, and See, that's a downside for a lot of people yeah it, it is and you know i I I went through distribution, so a lot of distro hopping, as we call it, right? Mm. Uh, that would happen. Um, I think in 2007, I had settled on Ubuntu because they were pretty solid and they had a lot of things done right at the time. Like uh, their, their font rendering, for example, was good, which on uh, well, other distributions still was lackluster, so fonts looked bad. I mean, fonts still don't on Windows and Linux don't look as good as they do on the Mac. I still don't know what's. I don't know all yeah. the details of that. Well, but, I, but yeah, I, I so, get what so, you mean. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. didn't mind if someone did some polish and gave you a nice experience, but you no, I didn't mind. That. Wanted you, you wanted it still to be something that you could break if you if you needed to. Yeah, and I, I liked all that free software available, right? You had, so once I had familiarized myself with those uh, graphical package installers like Synaptic, and you could basically put any term in there and some kind of software would come up, it often wouldn't really do what you thought it ought to do. But, <laughs> uh, you know, eventually I, I found a bunch of software and I, I familiarize myself very slowly but surely with the terminal and how to figure out how to read man pages and make sense of them and how to use that dash h or dash dash help thing mm -hmm. to uh, do something with one of those commands and you know i found that you could easily uh chain multiple pdfs together and whatnot, you know, convert PDF to HTML, convert this to HTML, uh, lots of funny things. And I did that and it just blew my mind every time I figured out a new little tool. And then I was running a flip phone, I think, at the time before, right before I got into those Motorola Linux phones. And it had 3G. So these phones we just talked about, they were all 2G still. Okay. Um, 
but the software was really horrible and you could only run those java apps and i figured yeah no i don't want that i want to uh, reuse some of those Linux programs that I know. And I had also read um, at the time, what was it, linux2go.org and handhelds.org, okay. two projects that had ported Linux to, uh, lin- to those Windows Mobile PDAs. Oh, I wasn't, early I didn't know anybody did that. Yeah, that happened too. It was like the iPack or whatever. Yeah, the, like those especially a bunch of HTC devices that was uh, on okay. back when Freenode was still a thing. <laughs> um, you know, they, they kind of folded this year. The IRC um, platform? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was an pound HTC Linux channel. Oh. And they also, I think that stuff was largely on handhelds.org or something. So there had been even two open source um, efforts to write graphical software for those PDAs by that time, like uh, a mobile-friendly version of AbbeyWord, which is a simple word processor, and a browser and file manager and all that stuff. Little little PDA desktop looking a lot like uh, what Windows Mobile was at the, at the time. Okay. And I, I wanted to play with that stuff instead of uh, dealing with stupid uh, Java to mobile uh, edition or what that stuff was called that never worked. Yeah, speaking of Java, I know the the the, the, the like the mobile apps you're talking about are n- nothing like uh, what Android ended up being. But I think it's interesting that you know if you're talking about Linux on a phone like Android is Linux on a phone. Uh, like, has that ever, um, I mean, do you use an Android phone? Like, what, what, what are your thoughts on Android? Like Android kind of came along a few years after oh. this experimentation started yeah. on your, your part. Um, so, yeah, I had tried to play a lot with those uh, Motorola mainly, by, by the way, with the A910, which had Wi-Fi but by default. And that was what I started that blog about, mainly. Uh, it had Wi-Fi, but you couldn't use it for anything but phone calls, which felt so stupid to me. And so my my idea was, I need to make it so that I can use that Wi-Fi to browse the internet. With Opera Mini, that was a Java app, so these... Uh, uh, Linux phones by Motorola ran Java ME2, so uh, yeah, or within a uh, built-in browser. So that was my, my target, and I eventually made that sort of happen, but only because another uh, mobile network, I think it was Neuf in France, picked those devices up and put some software on there that allowed that, so I figured out that I could run that software on my, I think, some British provider branded uh, A910 and so on. And yeah, But then I, I, of course, was still limited in terms of apps and uh, Open EZX was progressing, but not really. And I managed to get my hands on an Open Moco Neo Freerunner for cheap money. 
in early 2009. And around that time, I also got, because it had then just launched in Europe, the um, T-Mobile G1. So I was, in a way, an Android early adopter. And while I was, in principle, totally in love with the OpenMoco, the HTC Dream or T-Mobile G1 was just just so much better hardware. (laughs) And I just loved that keyboard. Did the Open Moco? Did they even have a keyboard? I'm looking no, at no. The Open um, Moco didn't. It it had a two point uh, two point eight inch resistive VGA touchscreen, which was pretty high resolution at the time. Okay. Uh, you know, smaller display than the G1, which only had half VGA. So quite the pixel density, but. The the problem with the that Open Moco world huge that, keyboard on the HTC Dream is just yeah, and 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 early Android. I mean, it was it just was fun, right? Uh, you you had not that many great apps, to be frank, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could use it. And uh, since I was a Gmail user at the time, and of course used Google Talk. Uh, and my friends used Google Talk. It was an excellent communicator, and I installed some kind of Notes app on it, and then I would just write a lot on the on that thing. I think uh, even quite a number of blog posts that I wrote on that device, and I uh, sat in lectures and wrote my notes, so, typing so- away on that little keyboard. So I I really liked Android back then. So I don't want to force a narrative here, but it sounds like you were effective at communicating with people and productive on Android. <laughs> yeah. Like, how would you compare that to your, like, Linux on mobile before and even, like, in the, the year, years after um, that, 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 like, have, have you ever <laughs> reached that level of... Co- Fluent communication with your friends and um, productivity on Linux on mobile. Uh, well, you know, it was fine, I think, on those Motorola phones uh, while I ran the Motorola supplied firmware. Mm-hmm. So, or software uh, that was also productive enough, right? Texting, phone calls, so on worked. Uh, with the open Moco, phone calls were a bit, a, a bit different. It had a a bit difficult. It had a hardware bug uh, that made the phone buzz loudly. You could get that fixed. So I sent my phone to some repair workshop here in Germany and uh, got it back. And then I could do phone calls with it without everybody being annoyed at me. <laughs> um, but yeah, of course, it wasn't nearly as productive as android was in mm. most regards except when you wanted to do uh, proper desktop things like uh using i think there even was a tiny spreadsheet app or something so for that it was better because it had that software available but otherwise mm. Uh, yeah, Android was the superior mobile experience, even in 
2009 with uh, Android 1.1 or what it was back then, right? Uh. Yeah, because like I mean, where I'm coming from right now, so like, just give a little. Uh, I mean, history from my perspective, I've never. Um, I guess the most Linuxy. I mean, other than Android, it, a phone. I've used is the pre, but that also wasn't really running Linux apps. But I don't know. For some reason, that feels more Linuxy to me. Yeah. Maybe just because it was less less polished. I don't know. Well, um, it, it it had a you, you could install some kind of package manager, right? And it was based on or it felt like it was built around Open Embedded or something, one of those early projects. So they had reused a bunch of the mobile Linux stack, but built their own totally uh, web based. Oh. OS on it, right? That was yeah. OS. Yeah, maybe they, maybe they, yeah, maybe their Linux stack was a little taller, a little more Linux. Yeah. Um, whereas Android obviously is just really mostly just using the Linux kernel, and then it built everything else with Java. And <laughs> but so so <laughs> yeah, they they also built their own C library, right? Uh, so um, by Bionic and so on. So they they really. Uh, redid the whole stack with that. Yeah, and it's really I don't know. So, so, so where I'm at right now is I'm using like Calyx, right? Um, yeah. Which is a is a fork of Android um, that's a little privacy focused, but not as absurdly privacy focused as Graphene, and it's fine. <laughs> um, and I, I also, <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but I. Keep on forgetting that I actually own a Pine phone, which is oh. an actual phone that actually runs Linux, and I haven't even set it up yet because oh. because I really don't enjoy the tinkering thing. And I, I told myself like you know I, I bought it right before I was moving, and then I all these things going and like my reward for finishing my move was I get to play with this phone, but really like I hardly feel like I have time to get my Calyx phone into a state where I actually enjoy using it. And a big part of me kind of thinks that I would be a lot more productive and happy like back on iOS. Um, and I'm like a little, little sick of the, like, um, like I'm in Austin and like half of the scooters don't really work with my phone and the other yeah. half, like the app, launches but it's really janky and then location <laughs> services half work on my phone but sometimes they don't and that can, can <laughs> screw you up and like all these little hassles and sometimes notifications mm -hmm. don't come through and sometimes they do and all these little hassles are like the you know the price you pay for more privacy um but part of me i'm like okay well Maybe they're winning anyways because, yeah, they can't track me as well as they could before, but I'm also not a productive member of society anymore, you know? <laughs> so so what, when I think about Linux on mobile, I think I really want mm -hmm. to move in this direction, you know? I want to move even further away from Google and, and something that's really, you know, a, a, a whole stack of, of free and open software. Um, and then I also think that 
it were I to do that, I would hate every second of it in the practical sense. You know what I mean? So, so that's kind of like where I'm coming from with all this. And I, I still really want to yeah. set up this pine phone and play with it, but also like, um, like I, I want to be part of the, the the movement that builds a future where we can have phones that run software that we control um, and that we can hack. Uh, but I, I don't know if I want to be part of the 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 beta testers. <laughs> like I want to be a developer, but not a tester. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you can totally do that, right? Uh, so. It's it's in a way with the Pine Phone, uh, which I got in, I don't know, June of 2020, I think. Um, it's um, it's very similar, right? Uh, you're not as productive. You can't use those, can't period use those services that you have are struggling with with Calyx OS. I I remember running lineage OS for a long time and using micro G and then eventually switching to a little old iPhone SE first generation so, so that I could run those uh, write those fun scooters mm -hmm. I think for precisely the same reasons right uh, also big issue is banking um, mm. There are those entirely mobile-based banks that don't even have a website. If you bought in on that and you want to switch to mobile Linux full-time anytime soon, um, well, you can try to run that with uh, Waydroid or something, which is basically Linux OS on uh, running... Uh, a Linux OS container running on the PinePhone then, for example, or other mobile Linux devices. Uh, but most likely you're going to have to switch banks <laughs> to make that transition, <laughs> right? Well, so I think about this a little bit like if the move, if we are going to build this future, and I do, I'm kind of optimistic generally that we could build a future of, Linux and uh, maybe even other operating systems that we can run on our phones. Uh, yeah, how do we solve that uh, other than like just emulation, right? Or or virtualization or something uh, or switching banks, you know? Like there are, are a lot of services. Like I was at a bar the other night where you couldn't order a drink unless you had the app. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's getting worse and worse. <laughs> and there's two there's two platforms that they're thinking of. Yeah, also sometimes employer-required apps mm. um, or governmental-required apps. Like if you were to have to use some kind of app yet now uh, with the pandemic and everything, for example. Um, so, I mean, we have on mobile Linux, we've got a for, for the EU vaccination certificate stuff. There's an app. To display that QR code, a Linux app, yeah, wow, is one. Um, but yeah, for other stuff like uh, this uh, Apple Google protocol that was really popular in I think what was it twenty mid twenty twenty or something, 
uh, for um, contact tracing. Mm -hmm. uh, that stuff wouldn't really make sense to even port it to the Pine phone. It's kind of the whole point that you got a Pine phone or a... No, not because of that, but because of software. Um, because the Pine phone, the way it's working, it's in deep sleep most of the time. And when it's in deep sleep, the CPU isn't active. So the program running on the CPU would be totally worthless because it couldn't send those Bluetooth beacons and couldn't receive them. Ah. So, yeah, there there is uh, one of these the many app operating systems that run on the Pine phone is Selfish OS. And Selfish OS is partly proprietary, which is why it's not really popular with the diehard free software movement, uh, understandably. And Selfish OS recently uh, celebrated their 10th birthday, or Yola, the company behind it. And there is a contact tracing app for... Uh, that and I it, it runs on the pine phone. I used it for a bit, but then I realized, well, yeah, I can do that, but um, unless I make sure that whenever I'm in, the, for example, a supermarket or some other space where uh, getting the virus is much more likely, um, unless I keep my phone on, right? <laughs> I don't know, maybe using a shopping list or just pressing pressing that little button so that it doesn't go to standby. Uh, unless I'm doing that, I it's basically useless to carry that app around with me. So how so does even if you trust that protocol? <laughs> I don't. I, I'm being relieved that it doesn't work on my phone. But I understand that if someone wants that, yeah. that's uh, that's not going to be great for them. Um. Uh, so I I realize now that we've kind of skipped a big. Uh, this is my fault, but we skipped a big kind of chunk of of mobile Linux history. So I'm going to give you yeah. the wrong version, and then you could help me out a little bit, okay. fill, fill in a little bit of the blanks. But I do think I, I, Pine the Pine Phone and what Purism is doing are kind of like the the what's what's happening here now i think that's going to be most interesting to, to yeah. most people but um i first i didn't never really knew about these motorola phones that you're talking about um and i i i, I remember this open moco but i don't even remember that it ran linux and then um i my first uh, uh stuff was um I didn't have one of these, but I just loved looking at them. Was was the the Mamo, the Nokia mobile stuff, yeah. which didn't start out as a phone. It was like kind of like a small little tablet. Yeah, um, like they kind of almost went in the opposite. They they came not quite like d desktop Linux, but definitely started with a larger screen, more Linuxy, um, and then they kind of slowly shrunk that down until it was on a phone. There was the the N nine hundred. Um, and I would always kind of drool over these, but I never got around to buying one. So I guess I wasn't that passionate about it. <laughs> um, and then I also remember that Ubuntu uh, announced the phone around that time. And it looked, I mean, similar to kind of how you said Linux, a man or Ubuntu managed to kind of have that most polished uh, Linux desktop. It looked like, 
um, Ubuntu Touch was going to be like kind of this leap forward in a polished mobile operating system. Um, and I don't really know what even happened to that. Uh, like Nokia really stuck with um, Mamo for a while and it just never, never seemed like they had a really a hit device. Um, but I don't know what really happened with Ubuntu Touch. Yeah. Okay, so the history of mobile Linux is is long longer than that. Um, you're totally right with those Nokia uh, internet tablets, the uh, Nokia seventy seventy seven. No, seven seven was it seven hundred seventy? I think was the first one, and then the N eight hundred and N eight hundred ten. That was how Nokia developed their Memo uh, operating system until they brought it onto the N900. Uh, before that, um, I, I briefly talked about PDAs earlier. The first PDA that was sold with Linux, because I think we can somehow divide this whole space into uh, two main categories, and that is, no, three, uh, three categories. So that's devices sold with the Linux-based operating system. That's largely proprietary then, Devices sold with a Linux-based community-driven operating system, and then that's and the third category is uh, ports of community-based Linux operating systems to devices that didn't run Linux previously or while they were on sale. And yeah, the first Linux device ever in this space of handheld computing was the Agenda VR3 PDA in 2000. And then there were the Sharp Zauros PDAs and, and whatnot. Uh, I don't think these matter anymore, so I won't waste too much time on it. And Motorola, of course, uh, in 2004. And they, they kept this going. Um, they also had all these other platforms, right? They had their proprietary feature phone OS. They had... Um, one variant of Symbian that they used on on a bunch of devices, and then the same with Nokia. They also used Symbian and tried to. I th- I think they at one point saw Memo as their next gen platform. Brought Memo five to the N nine hundred in two thousand nine. The N nine hundred for its time was quite powerful, so. Uh, the OpenMoco launched in 2008, if I'm not completely mistaken. It was first announced in 2006, but real availability was two years later. And the OpenMoco was slower than a lot of these uh, HTC devices that had run Windows Mobile that had since been ported to run some kind of Linux by the community. Um, because Motorola's and those uh, Windows Mobile PDAs or smartphones, early smartphones, uh, so basically PDAs with a cellular modem <laughs> at that point, they uh, ran on Intel's strong ARM chips. So at that time, Intel made ARM CPUs. And the OpenMoco, yeah, it was just very slow. So it was ARM before, and then the Nokia N900 was really fast. It was 
like at a similar CPU to the Palm Pre Plus, but a less bloated software stack. Um, and yeah, it it this was <laughs> I I guess I totally confused everybody now. Um, after the N nine hundred, Nokia tried to re-engineer their effort because they had realized, okay, that iPhone is actually uh, a big thing and we need to come up with something that's similarly smooth. The N900 had like a slide-out keyboard. Yeah, it had a slide-out keyboard, a resistive touchscreen and a GTK-based UI. Hmm. And they basically threw most of that away and... They had at some point bought Trolltech, which had developed Qt. And uh, by the way, those Motorola phones, the UI was based on Qt embedded. So um, yeah, that had been used in mobile phones and was more performant. It's, I think even at the time supported hardware acceleration already, hmm. which uh, is now coming to GTK with GTK4. So they were... In terms of usability on those small devices, they were quite a bit ahead. And I feel like Q and and GTK could maybe go over people's heads, but it is kind of yeah. a pretty interest, like interesting part of of Linux that you know there because totally. it's open, you could do anything you want, and you could just draw to you know a frame buffer like a video game does, and make your own completely custom UI. But most people um uh usually use a framework like Qt or GTK which you could kind of it's kind of like um like Coco or Swift UI or 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 yeah. something like that uh, um but also <laughs> there's also sort of like a whole camps or kind of ecosystems around GTK like like the like the Ubuntu has been kind of pretty gtk heavy but then there's like the whole uh what's the other one um kde yeah kde is that is that gtk no no no, kde is cute and and gnome Gnome is gtk gnome is gtk there you go yeah so you have this whole like it's so like yeah it's linux but a, a huge part of what the user sees and the look and feel of the operating system and how the apps are developed are in very different um, development environments. Yeah, it's it's quite different. Uh, if you develop for Qt, you're likely going to work with C++ and with GNOME or GTK, it's C. So that's where the differences start, but that's not where they append. Uh, GTK has its origins as GIMP toolkit, if I'm not mistaken. So it was developed for GIMP oh. uh, because with Qt, while it was always a dual license, they also had it as a commercial product. And right. for some people, that was not acceptable because they were always afraid that Qt was going to go proprietary and then all they built on it would be lost. Right. And sometimes on social media, you'll still meet people that are really diehard and say that everything that uses or even touches Qt is proprietary. 
I feel like there was some scare I, about I, that just like six months ago about some yeah cuted license wise. Yeah, they uh, that was because they are now working on Qt six, and therefore they uh, stopped working on the free software version of Qt five fifteen, mm. which is still in use widely because uh, KDE are just only starting to rebuild on Qt six, and so but. I mean, it worked out. Uh, KDE is now maintaining that open source Qt stack for as long as they need it. So Qt 5 is alive and kicking, but it's now community maintained in a way. Okay. But yeah, yeah that was, was was a controversy. And, and that happens every time uh, and quite often. And in these uh, 20 years, I've been a Linux user. I've seen that a lot. And... Early on, I was excited, and now I'm just, oh, no, not that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because it, it's a, it, a corporate involvement in open source is a real two-edged sword because you can, you can pay people to work on software so you can get software built that might not have enough... Um, you know, community um, expertise or time or uh, manpower, whatever the community can't necessarily pull this off, but a company can pay people to do it and get it done. Um, But also it tends to be that companies um, like enterprise software happens and you end up with a rather complicated software or just, just because just in the same way that the community couldn't manage to build this on their own, they also can't seem to manage to maintain or improve the software if the company disappears. So while it, it might be open source software from a company and you can, no matter how permissive the license is, uh, you still might not be able to really um, benefit from that software if the the company goes away and stops supporting it. And and similarly, with I think my theory on Android is Android is so complicated, it's such a piece of enterprise software that you <laughs> really have to be a a Google to really, or just like an absolute genius, like the guy who works on Graphene OS, to to really interact with this this incredibly large code base and do anything useful or create you know modifications to make it to to, to change android to be more like you want it to be without Mm. hiring a hundred people to do that for you is is kind of a, a, a a a hard task yeah that's that's the problem with any uh or taking over any kind of large software project i think so if totally new developers have to pick it up, then you'll find out that maybe you don't have you have the code, but you don't have the internal documentation outside the code or something like that. Right. And even if you have that documentation, maybe it's not totally accurate because, well, yeah, it's people don't have always document stuff perfectly, right? Because that's not economical. And therefore, you will have lots of technical depth. And then 
things slowly peter out right they people try to pick it up and they are overwhelmed and stop if it's just a code code dump right Uh, Right. and nobody knows the code that's still working on it um that is a huge problem um and i will this is kind of what's been happening uh with ubuntu touch um but that's something for later so nokia after the n900 rebased to cute and they made that uh, nokia n9 i think it got released in 2011 reviews were good but even when it was released it was clear that uh, this wouldn't be nokia's future that this was the future that Nokia would have had, but they uh, wouldn't pursue any further. So the thing is, uh, sometime before that, um, Nokia had changed CEOs because they were yeah, really in trouble because of Android and the iPhone eating their lunch. And they had hired Stephen Elop from Microsoft and surprisingly enough, uh, Stephen Elop steered the large ship Nokia into the direction of uh, dropping on smartphone software efforts and going with Windows Phone in the future. We all know well, where and, that and, went. And, <laughs> yeah, so they partnered with Microsoft and then uh, Microsoft later bought, bought them, right? Yeah, bought the phone division and... You can buy Nokia phones today, but that's just uh, a company that has licensed the brand name. I think HMD Global, and those phones were on Android again. <laughs> well, how did you feel about the N? I mean, outside of the Microsoft aspect yeah. of like this is a dead end. Like, how did you feel about the N9 just as a as a device because it was much more iPhoneified yeah. than any of these other devices we've been talking about. Yeah, it was it was great. I I personally never had one, but a good friend of mine had, so he let me play with it. And I was like, "Wow. If only this wasn't basically abandoned, I would totally uh, stop using Android and go with that." Hmm. It was great. This gesture-based navigation, it was well, it had much of what I loved about WebOS except it was also fast and didn't have a weird slide out keyboard that was too small <laughs> to type on um <laughs> so it had, like yeah, difficult it, it, to, the palm pre like the but the, the keyboard buttons were like hard to press yeah they were well. tiny and it, the sharp edges and yeah the, the palm palm and hp that's a whole different mess and mm-hmm. i i blocked about that too i had a Palm Pre and a Palm Pre Plus, and then later Palm Pre 3, but I, oh, HP 3, Pre 3, but yeah, that was also another death by uh, change of CEO project, by the way. Uh, so HP changed, had acquired Palm, and they wanted to build a future around WebOS. Uh, they had developed the touchpad, their first tablet, around the um, the same time as the iPad 2 came out. And, well, it wasn't perfect, but it definitely could have developed into something. But then I think their CEO had some kind of 
sex scandal or something. And, and a, another guy took over, Leo Apotheker, who had previously been at SAP, a German enterprise software uh, company. <laughs> and he was like, what? Why are you doing this? I, I'll kill it. <laughs> so that was the death of WebOS on phones and tablets. All, uh, all this happened in, in 2011. And after that, I mostly uh, uh, stopped blogging about that stuff because it was really too much in a year. So that, that brings us around. That's pretty close to Ubuntu Touch now, right? Yeah, almost. But first we have to talk about SafeAssurance and Yola briefly because so Nokia had killed off what they had built. But the people that had built that were still around. And so a bunch of these guys founded a new company, called it Yola, and built their own uh, phones from finland so i i had no idea yola was yeah. <laughs> was nokia people yeah it's makes a uh, lot of sense it makes a ton of sense so nokia had partnered with intel uh they had called this migo and the n900 os was called migo uh but it still was i it was really not migo but it was uh mostly Memo, so it was mostly a Nokia development, but they had branded it Migo. Um, and after Nokia had uh, skipped from Migo, Intel uh, well didn't really carry on with it either. Um, you may remember Migo from netbooks and so on. So it was something that was always demoed, but I don't think many people ever used it, but it was quite optimized, so it was relatively nice, but yeah, didn't go anywhere. After oh, this, all. like um, in, Intel was part of this. Yeah, Mo Intel was part Moblin. of that. Yeah, Moblin and Moblin merged with Memo to become Migo. Got it. That was that story. Uh, and then this, a lot of this, they later landed at Samsung with the Tizen effort. But I'm not going to go into Tizen too much because I really don't know much about Tizen. I've never used mm -hmm. it. But uh, the open source part of Migo was then um, maintained as under the name Mer, M-E-R. Um, and that was what Yola based SafeAssurance on. And SafeAssurance was, in many aspects, quite similar to what uh, Nokia had been creating with the N9, but they had moved on to a newer version of Qt, so it was Qt 5 instead of Qt 4. And they, for a while, were looking pretty good, so they were focused on a small market in Europe, which is why I think they never have been so popular in the US. And they would develop on a hardware platform with a European ship vendor. And uh, I think it was ST Ericsson. But then ST Ericsson decided uh, <laughs> before they were about to launch, they decided, well, no, let's not do phone chips anymore. Hmm. <laughs> Around the same time frame, T 
TI, uh, Texas Instruments, also dropped out of making phone chips. So, and, yeah, and this, uh, this was hard for them, but they then rebased uh, onto uh, Qualcomm layer, and b the Yola phone was released. Um, and I think I'm not saying uh, I'm not saying something that's wrong here. They reused essentially what was an Android kernel, but they had built some layer that was called uh, Helium to uh, have this uh, Linux user land that they had run on that. Interesting. So that that what Sailfish OS Hel is. Okay. Because this kind of... Um, I think this touches on an interesting theme that, that <laughs> um, while... Linux thrived on on this sort of open, relatively standardized, um, like the world of Wintel, as it was known at the time. Um, like when when, uh, and then you know AMD kind of like started to threaten them and then failed to threaten them. But it was a the x eighty six platform was a very well defined and very well established and so you could make an operating system that would work on a lot of at least cpus um and gpus were a little bit of a a, a, a hassle for for linux to handle but like you could linux could boot on almost anything windows could boot on pretty yeah. pretty in a pretty straightforward manner I mean, straightforward as far as <laughs> these things go. I'm not saying I could do it, but um, but phones are so every. It's like every phone is a snowflake, and they're so vertically integrated, and the system on the chips are all so weird and completely non-standardized yeah. uh, that you can't just make you can't just port Linux to all these phones. Like that's why we don't really see. Like you mentioned, the HTC era, but like in the modern times, there there aren't a ton of different Android phones that people wipe and put uh, mobile Linux on. Even though there is a thriving mobile Linux ecosystem, so it's interesting that even even a, a whole company dedicated to to making you know mobile Linux, like they lost their their you know chip buddy. And so they're, they're using like, uh, and like an Android kernel, uh, because that can talk to this specific system on a chip that they need to support. Yeah. Because that's what the vendor supplies essentially. Um, now there are many, many, uh, ports of, uh, Linux based operating systems to a number of Android based devices out there. And I think we should get into that later um, with PostMarket OS mainly and uh, Ubuntu Touch. But yeah, now that I think I would like to continue with, with Yola, sure, but sure, I'm sure. still going on with Safer OS. I think they just released version 4.2 or 4.3. I'm not quite sure. And they had their 10 year anniversary recently. And if you want to know about the history of Yola, they 
I had an event for their anniversary and the video of that is only available on Facebook, but it's worth watching still. Hmm. So I can uh, give you a link later. Sure, yeah. And then you can put it in the show notes if you want to. I also had it in my last weekly update, by the way. I've got a blog. It's called limop.net. <laughs> oh, yeah. We haven't plugged that. <laughs> we didn't hard. plug it yet. So let me plug it first for one time. But yeah. So yeah, this this way of reusing hardware that the vendor uh, supplies a Linux kernel for, but the Linux kernel is meant to work with Android only, that uh, Yola used there um, or, or developed there. Um, is great in a way because it makes it possible to uh, port Linux to a bunch of Android devices. And this has only gotten easier with further standardization of the Android platform. Um, I'm blanking on the name of Google's project to do that. Was it Project Treble? Ooh, I don't know. Google's done a lot of different yeah. because Google has this problem as well because they want to deliver software they, updates, but yeah, and they want the all the different vendors to upgrade from Android 11 to Android 12. But if you're <laughs> you have to port the whole operating system to a new architecture, then you're a little in trouble. So they want to modularize yeah. a little bit. I know that motivation, but I don't yeah, know specifically the name. They've been they've been really putting some some effort into that uh, and try to also lately uh, work with uh, chip vendors and try to have them work with, try to have them to get their stuff into mainline Linux. Um, so Google is doing some pretty good work there. Uh, even though I don't like modern Google as much as I like uh, smaller feeling Google in 2009. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, kudos to them for that. But yeah. I was at the Android launch event, whenever that was, and like, the founders <laughs> came out on rollerblades. Those were, those were yeah. I didn't know how innocent we were back then. Uh, so, so you, so you think these? This is this is really getting better. This, this kind of uh, like, like it might be m more devices, more there's, Android devices that can there, run. There's hope. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, there's hope. But while we're still with uh, history, I think Ubuntu Phone uh, is something we also need to talk about, and they uh, used a similar way so they also use this and i think they actually called it helium i don't know whether yola also called it helium um they also use this layer to run a linux user land uh, on an android kernel and they started in so they first announced it 10 years ago but i think um Ubuntu phone became a thing. So the early devices you would run it on were the Samsung Galaxy Nexus and then the Nexus 4. And then it took them a while until they uh, made... So they had this crowdfunder also, the Ubuntu Edge. But that didn't happen. So they asked for, I don't know, what was it? Some... 
an absurd sum of money, many millions of dollars. And they made a few millions of dollars, but not enough. Oh. I should have looked that up. Um, then eventually they partnered with um, two small phone manufacturers uh, that were little known then, um, the Spanish company BQ and Maizu, a Chinese uh, smartphone manufacturer, and they sold phones that ran Ubuntu Touch. Ubuntu wanted $32 million, but they only got $12.7 million. <laughs> <laughs> See. I, I, I thought it was something that they wanted 30-something million dollars, yeah. And they would have built something really great, I'm sure. Um, although I've heard that that thing might have then run actually Android with the Ubuntu on Android layer so that you could have plugged it into a larger screen and then run a Linux desktop on top of that or something. Yeah, you know, it seems like they wanted to make a dual-boot phone that would dual-boot yeah. Ubuntu Touch and Android, which is... Again, sorry, I'm I'm a tangent kind of guy. Yeah. Like the, the, that's something I've been thinking about recently. That like what I what I think would be helpful. Uh, actually, most most people I know in, in the U.S. using uh, iOS, and um, like some sort of um, a way to prepare to to move. Like like that that you'd have a set a core set of applications that you're going to end up with, um, like that your day to day things that keep you productive, you could run them on your iPhone, and you know that when you land on Android, or you run land on like Calyx, or you land on you know uh, 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 Lin like mobile Linux you have those same experiences. So like you have this like kind of security blanket that can kind of shepherd you from one to the other. Of course, the whole reason theoretically of running uh, a different operating system is that you have application access to different applications. But I do think if people want to be able to move for maybe for privacy reasons or other reasons, um, like some sort of um, hand-holding would be nice, um, and so this is interesting that that, that Ubuntu was uh, canonical. Who makes Ubuntu was thinking of like, okay, if this is a dual boot phone, people like don't have to be freaked out. They still have Android, but they can they can switch to Ubuntu Touch, and maybe over time they'll use Ubuntu Touch more and more. No, I lost you. Hello. Oh, you're muted. It's a bit of a rant. Peter. Sorry, I was still muted. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so Ubuntu uh, had started in 2004 as a Linux desktop operating system, right? And they were based on the GNOME desktop. And then it, 
eventually GNOME, the GNOME project moved on to make GNOME 3, but uh, Canonical, the company behind Ubuntu, uh, didn't like that. So they had started to base on those same foundations and build their own desktop, which was Unity. And Unity 7 was a pretty cool desktop. It had many elements that seemed uh, familiar if you had used macOS before. Uh, but then eventually they figured, well, the world is going away from desktop computers and we want to put Ubuntu on everything. So we want to have Ubuntu on TVs, Ubuntu on smartphones, Ubuntu on tablets, Ubuntu and you name it. And therefore they uh, rebased on Qt5 also. Now they couldn't use the components that uh, Yola had developed for Safish because those were pro proprietary. I mean, maybe they could have licensed them. I don't know if they ever even talked. Um, and so they, they built their own Qt5 based thing called Unity 8. And that was what was running on these early Ubuntu phones. And it was supposed to take over the desktop too. And they they worked hard on it and made progress, but and they, they tried it a bunch of times, but and they, they even, you know, so on the Linux desktop there's this X server, which is still dominant and which is providing the foundation for all these desktops. But it's not modern. And so people felt like we need to re-architect this. We need to build something, a new protocol. And they built Valent as a community effort. Uh, of course, this is all often funded by companies like Red Hat and so on. So it's not like a bunch of guys in their basements only, but it's paid developers. And Wayland is now getting ready, uh, but Canonical didn't like that. So they built Mir, their own display server and protocol. And that was also going into Unity 8. And it was a massive, massive project. And eventually they figured Oh God, we're burning a bunch of money. This we're, we're never going to be profitable this way. And then in, I think it was early 2017, uh, they announced that they would stop working on Ubuntu Touch, stop working on Unity 8. And they then shifted over to a GNOME 3-based desktop. They also stopped mm -hmm. working on Unity 7, which they had still maintained until that point far longer, I think, than they had intended to. And Ubuntu is now mainly focused on the server and IoT because that's more profitable. And they are, I think, still preparing to IPO eventually. Really? Yeah. So after that, Ubuntu Touch, which had been quite nice, I, I had liked it a lot because it has a Jester-based UI. Um, but for me, as someone who at that time, I think from 2013, 2014 onwards, actually wanted to get away from Android, 
again. Uh, I think mainly because of the Snowden revelations, but also for other reasons, because it felt like Google was more and more taking control. Early Android didn't feel that much like they were so in control. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So Ubuntu Touch, uh, for me, as someone who wanted to get away from Google, was kind of ironic when I first used it. Uh, there was no email client pre-installed, only a Gmail app. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. They were uh, trying to address a larger market. Was um, it the Gmail is just like a web app? I think it was mostly a web app, but uh, I... Uh, I don't recall. Uh, mm. It might have been some a web app with some native components or something. Uh, but but yeah, so, uh, that, that that also was a, a normal IMAP pop uh, SMTP uh, standards based email client, but that was community developed and optional. And I think it wasn't even in in the proper store. So. I had have had problems to get really going with Ubuntu Touch, and um, that's why I personally didn't use it very much. I played with it every then and now, but I, I mainly used like then I think Android, but uh, with uh, F Droid only and so on, you know, because the F Droid store has a bunch of great apps. So so this free software. this like it wasn't ever really at the polish or quality of like a Nokia N9 even, well, right? It, it got close. I think um, they had also architected it in a way that was fairly secure. Okay. So they had implemented proper sandboxing and they, they still have all these features. So after Canonical dropped Ubuntu Touch, the Porter's community that had previously been active to bring Ubuntu Touch to other devices that wouldn't run it, um, that didn't have Canonical's blessing, um, like the Nexus 5, for example, which was really popular. Um, that, I time. see that one pop up all the time. Like There don't yeah. seem to be a ton of other phones that, that run this, but the yeah. Nexus 5. So and and I think the OnePlus One was also a relatively early port, same time frame. So the Ubuntu uh, UB Ports community, which I think was short for Ubuntu Ports, uh, took over Ubuntu Touch, and they are still uh, developing it to this day. And they are currently in the process, the quite massive process to port it on to a new newer Ubuntu base. So they are still based on Ubuntu 16.04, which is sadly end of life now and no longer uh, supported freely. And they are trying to port it to 20.04, which is one of these Ubuntu long-term support releases, which is going to be supported. Those version numbers are based on years, right? So on like years. This, and four. years and the months of release. So, so 20.04 is April of 2020. And since then, they are heavily working on bringing Ubuntu Touch over to that. And uh, they need uh, they need help with that from what I can gather from their community Q&As. Uh, so, yeah, so 
that's I mean that's a massive project. Uh, a lot changed in desktop Linux and in the in the base technology stack mm-hmm. in that four years that they are making the jump over now. And um, yeah, if you want to give them some money, I, I'm sure they appreciate it and they would even appreciate. Oh look, oh, look at uh, their sponsors and Pine sixty four is in there. Contributions more, yeah. Pine sixty four when they started the Pine Phone made these community editions. And I, I bought one of those. Actually that was my first Pine Phone. You want to touch commu- UB Ports Community Edition it was called. That's why they are sponsor sponsor. Yeah. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um is it is is this is this the time to talk about um the Pine Phone? Like where, yeah. where I know that I, th- I think, I think the, the Librem Five was maybe announced before the, the Librem Five was announced before that. So, but like, is there any lineage of software coming from this Ubuntu Touch to to um, to these new phones? Um, well, you can run Ubuntu Touch uh, on the Pine Phone, for example. Mm. I think there has been a Librem Five port, but. I personally never tried it because, yeah, it's uh, the the thing with the Libra Five is you can't just boot it off and micro SD card as easily as you can the Pine Phone. Okay. So I think you can do it in theory, but in practice, nobody has done it, as far as I know. So, so <laughs> you so always what? have to refresh everything, and yeah, that's why All I right. didn't try that port so, because it so. seemed abandoned when I found it. I just want to give a little context for these phones and you can kind of fill it in from there. So I reviewed a Purism laptop for The Verge and like I'm not, I wasn't using Linux as a daily driver, didn't really know it that well. Um, And uh, Purism is, it's not one of those operating systems that comes with like all the the fun it doesn't have steam pre-installed you know it doesn't, <laughs> it's not a uh it, it's it's highly designed for security and so i remember writing this piece and and, and the, like the closing paragraph is like you know if you if you value security if you value privacy uh, you're gonna have to work harder, and I'm not the guy that's gonna work hard for it, you know. And, I, <laughs> I, I felt, and then, like looking back, it's like, well, I kind of like just kind of admitted to being kind of a. Anyways, so uh, but the, uh, this c- company has has come out with this Librem Five phone, um, and it is uh, it's 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 like the ultimate in security. It's it's big. It's got. Uh, physical switches for turning off the radios, um, a replaceable battery. And I, I remember like watching a talk, something like even the, the, uh, they couldn't find like a good way to, to, to get, um, uh, an LTE on it that they could like audit, um, or be confident in. So they like put it on like a, like a, it's like an, on an MVME card basically. (laughs) Inside like you would have phone. on a laptop, <laughs> right? Um, it's like yeah, it's like an expansion card is how they do LTE, which I think is. So, anyways, they went they went all out to make the uh, a purism style phone, um, and then uh, meanwhile, Pine 
which had recently done like the Pine Book and um, Pine Book Pro, just these wa- kind of absurdly uh, affordable computers, kind of along the lines of um, uh, Raspberry Pi. They they have like a, a, a I forget what it's called, but uh, uh, they have a, a little single board computer like a Raspberry Pi. Um, they put out a just a ridiculously cheap phone that runs Linux. <laughs> and now they've announced the Pine Phone Pro. But yeah, so like yeah. what 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 was it like this time? Is there anything to the this kind of similar timing between Purism and is there something there's some reason that now is the time for uh, mobile Linux? Well, uh, is there a reason that now is the time? I don't know. <laughs> or is it just a coincidence? These are two companies that both had it. Well, relatively similar ideas i i think purism had the idea to do this in likely that the idea in 2016 and then they uh did those did that liberal initial liberum 5 crowdfunder in 2017 uh which they are still in progress of shipping uh because um i ordered one in late october so like four years ago and uh, yeah, it's it's still not here, but, but some people have received theirs. I've yeah, and I've bought a Librem five of someone who received it, so I've got the current edition. Uh, uh, so Purism at the time decided to go with uh, their own GNOME based mobile software stack. The problem with that was that there was no GNOME based mobile software stack. There had been back in the day uh, around OpenMoco, so like 10 years earlier, with GPE, which was uh, basically a GTK-based palm-top environment so for handheld computers. with It used a classic desktop metaphor, you know, like for those PDAs that I talked about earlier. So that had been a thing, but... Since then, nothing had really happened there. But meanwhile, on the desktop, like GTK is like, I feel like it's very popular. I mean, like, I think like Pop! OS is... Yeah, and yeah everybody uses GNOME, basically. Or ships so like, GNOME by default. Yeah, so like, I know like KDE, they're still out there. You can see screenshots, but like, I don't feel like a lot of people seem to be actually running it day to day. I'm running it right here. No, look but, at you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that's that's a totally different topic, and uh, yeah, I, I don't want to go on another tangent. But there's, you could there's imagine that it would make sense that it, the the if 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 GTK is getting all this attention and and all this developer expertise built around it yeah. um, on the desktop, that that would ho- possibly help when you're doing mo- trying to get a bunch of mobile apps, right? That's 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 true. And I think it's working out well, but at the time they were largely criticized because there was already a Plasma Mobile project, right? Like uh, KDE Plasma Desktop, Plasma Mobile, mm. um, that had put out some builds for the Nexus 5 and so on, and then later supported, I think, the Nexus 5, 5P, no, 6P, what, 5, what was letter behind that second edition? 5 as I don't recall, you know, that other Nexus 5, the later oh, one that was yeah. re- released alongside the Nexus 6P. Um, 
doesn't really matter, right? Mm. <laughs> I think all those phones are now broken because they had some kind of hardware defect on most of those. Um, um, but so there, there were community projects like Plasma Mobile. There was um, Ubuntu Touch. They could have gone with Ubuntu Touch. And the, I think you want to touch guys still uh, a little bit uh, upset with purism because they didn't go with you want to touch. But then at the time, as you have, I think it, it made sense for them to do it the way they did it. So purism was shipping GNOME desktops on their uh, privacy enhanced laptops, you know, that ship with core boot and have the Intel management engine disabled and stuff like that. And I think also have those hardware kill switches. Um, so they felt like, hey, uh, let's do it like uh, Canonical wanted and uh, run this on the phone too. So have a convergent setting um, across things. But we will do this with GNOME and GTK. We're not going to use Plasma Mobile, which wasn't very developed back then. Uh, we are not going to take over Ubuntu Touch because that's basically like we talked about, you know, that taking over a massive project that was developed somewhere else is really difficult. And honestly, if you would have asked me in 2017, uh, is Ubuntu Touch and is UbiPort still going to work on Ubuntu Touch in, in four years? I would have said, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I didn't, I didn't know that. that they, I didn't know they were still at it. It's kind of it is yeah. really impressive. Like it is kind of so much fun. I mean, so much of what we're talking about touches on open source communities doing various things, and all that is it's typically someone after work or before work or when on their weekends, just like. I got. I'm gonna spend some some of my time making this thing work. A lot of it's pretty thankless, like like you mentioned, like refactoring or rebasing to a new version of Ubuntu. I can imagine how how um, difficult and challenging that is, and you're not even like building new software, and like you're just kind of like making yeah. something that exists already and already works work with a new core, you know. So um, it is wild how many people dedicate so much time to this stuff. It's kind of it's 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 inspiring. I think of it almost it's kind of like a, a form of charity because it's kind of just you're kind of just giving something to to other people. You you might be also yeah. scratching your own itch, and maybe that's what motivates m most people. But yeah, uh, they, UbiPort set up a foundation, so they are a foundation uh, by German law now. Uh, so do, I think in, they. Do they, they have anybody do, on salary? I think I, I think so actually. But oh, wow. honestly, even then, uh, let's say they they would get enough money in there that they could pay like four people, hmm. maintaining an entire mobile OS with four people. <laughs> Oof. tough nuggies, right? Mm. So uh, it's uh, I'm I'm I highly appreciate the hard work they're doing. Honestly, um, it's uh, crazy, but not they, purism. They didn't yeah. appreciate it. They they, they decided. Uh, well, <laughs> let's not inherit uh, that technical debt. Let's go with our own um, yeah. stack. And yeah, so 
the hardware, as I said, is clearly delayed. They wanted to ship it in 2019. And I think they could have shipped it uh, in yeah, sometime 2020, realistically. Um, but then the pandemic hit and first, you know, doing any work got harder. I mean, I think Purism is already a pretty remote work-focused organization. But then uh, now we've got this ship shortage. So I understand that they are delayed because the ship, the main SOC they are using uh, is also used in cars and yeah that's (laughs) we all have heard those stories about car factories shutting down because they can't get the chips they need for their cars (laughs) right now it's Um, a little hard to outbid for yeah (laughs) a little hard for a little purism but the software stack they've developed is fairly nice and they are doing good work in mainlining uh or mainlining the phone so that it's that you can just eventually you're going to be able to take i don't think they're quite there but they're getting closer and closer with every kernel release so that you can just wrap that uh, kernel of kernel.org compile it uh for your librem 5 and run it there without further patches and i'm not super familiar with this um like basically most of the things that we've been talking about, they've taken the Linux kernel. Like there, there's a like it's not on GitHub, but it's a, a Git project. Yeah. There's a master branch of the Linux kernel somewhere. You're saying you could just clone that and run that on your phone instead of having to fork that and make a bunch of changes to which I'm guessing most of these projects are doing. Yeah, most most. Uh... So Ubuntu Touch is typically not on the Pine phone, but typically they are running uh, on some Android vendor kernel. So that's if it's on uh, something like 3.10 or so on that device, then it's going to stay there essentially forever. Hmm. So it's getting security patches if those are being developed, but new kernel features uh, you're not getting those and well moving forward I think it's advantageous for security to have a mainline kernel in general Um, I don't really want to comment on Liberum 5 security because there are some security people including the guy who develops Graphene OS, who says it's uh, not really secure and that those hardware kill switches are a gimmick um, and you should rather use something that's called an IEO MMU. But I'm no computer scientist, so I can't really comment on that in any informed way. <laughs> well, the, um, the ultimate in these is like verifiable hardware. And like stuff like um, Bunny, yeah. uh, Bunny Wang is doing. Um, I always I bring Bunny yeah. up all the time on, on this podcast when I do the podcast. But I can never. Are you remember. thinking of the precursor? The precursor. Thank you. Thank you. PGA based handheld thing. Yeah, and they're just they're just trying to make it so that you could just like literally just take a 
some sort of microscope and just as much as verifiable as possible of hardware. But yeah, like this, you're never going to get perfection. And also, you know, different people have different threat models. Totally, totally. Um, so the Librem 5, I mean, I've, I've got one here because I uh, could buy it of someone who backed it before, backed the crowdfunder before I did. Um, it's so. Purism are doing good work on this. Uh, I'm following the software development and it's getting better and better, but I wouldn't say it's uh, necessarily daily driver ready yet. Um, it's what are the biggest like like how what, what are the biggest uh, shortcomings or, or and also what's like the nicest things like I, and most people are not touching these phones day to day so yeah. like this kind of experience is kind of nice to know about. So, I mean, first of all, it's it's heavy, right? It it weighs like uh, almost three hundred grams or two hundred sixty mm. something, and it's uh, sixteen almost sixty millimeters thick because um, not only the Wi-Fi uh, the 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 four G modem is on a little M dot two card, but also the Wi-Fi is. Um, <laughs> By the way, <laughs> two hundred sixty grams is nine. Nine ounces for us Americans. Yeah, uh, so it's <laughs> it's quite funny. So it's very modular, right? And if you really want to be sure that this thing is not connecting to anything, you just uh, open up the back cover, remove two screws, uh, then uh, two more screws, remove those cards, and it won't connect to anything. <laughs> <laughs> Except maybe GPS, because I think that's still on board, and you can't remove that. But yeah, it those privacy kill switches are qu quite fun, I think, as a concept. Um, having a kill switch for the microphone so that you can be sure that the microphone is not recording. While at the same time having an open source, auditable, uh, fully auditable, uh, trustable software stack feels, I don't know. I, it doesn't totally make sense for me why you need both. Um, but then uh, they they went with this and um, they have this free software foundations, uh, respect your freedom certification. So if that's valuable to you, then they are really great. But the phone is very expensive. And the main problem for daily use, except of that you're, of course, not going to use a scooter uh, with that, uh, that you're not going uh, to, um, yeah, I don't know, use your banking app easily with that. Hmm. Although there, there are two projects for Android emulation. So yeah, you, you might, but then you have to be really lucky that your bank doesn't require safety net uh, or what that Android feature is called because that's not working yet on neither Nbox nor Android. But uh, the biggest problem in daily use for now is battery life so um they haven't developed the deep sleep mode yet like um, for the pine phone and therefore in my testing which is quite a while ago and they've made improvements since i could use it for like eight to nine hours and then the battery was depleted I need to test that again. I think they should do better now. 
Um, so you're going to need a, a mid, if it, you wake up with it fully charged, you're going to need some sort of midday charge, probably. Probably, yeah. Or you need to stay at home all the time. It's no problem. <laughs> but then why do you need a mobile phone? But yeah, uh, maybe to play with it. And to mm. play with mobile Linux because mobile oh, Linux is awesome. Yes. Yeah, so, so yeah. So what do you, what do you what are like some software like just basics like for messaging and calendar, email, that kind of stuff? Is that software coming along pretty oh, good? Well, so calendar is just slowly landing now. Um, the GNOME calendar app has now been uh, adapted. I don't think it's in PureOS yet, but. Uh, some PinePhone distributions and um, Mobian, which also runs on the Librem 5, which is some um, also Debian-based distribution. Um, they have grabbed the work that Purism is doing but hasn't released yet because they are not happy with how it's working yet and are already shipping that. So <laughs> Calendar is coming now. Uh, like email works. Um, SMS works. MMS is still landing, so multimedia messaging. I think it's really popular in the US for um, both sending images and group chats. Is in development and is getting closer and closer, but it uh, hasn't landed yet. I think we're going to have it. Well, I I was hoping we would have it by now, but uh, realistically speaking, I think we should have it for sure mid 2022 so, so yeah things what, take a while to land right because can you well those are fresh i might like like can you contrast that with like how it's going in pine phone like pine phone is they're they're shipping hardware and then they've been very dependent on the community to like go wild go nuts and 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 you know try a bunch of different things and so there's a bunch of different distros yeah, um, you could say. Um, although it's obviously a little bit more involved to do this for a phone than a typical uh, desktop distro, but there's a bunch of different distros for Pine Phone. But like, wh- where, where, where are they settling on? Because I mean, I don't know. I know it's hard. It's hard to just write a, an email client or or calendar or whatever. But if if you have enough community involvement, at some point maybe someone's going to bother to do it. Um, but I, I'm wondering if that's working out for them. Yeah, but the PinePhone, they are... Uh, so if you look at those community editions, Pine64 shipped. So because those were those are an indicator, maybe, um, of readiness of software stacks. So they mm-hmm. shipped first the you want to touch uh, community edition after them. They, so they had an early adopter thing called Braveheart. And I've, uh, but... Yeah, that came without anything pre-installed. And then they pre-installed a bunch of these mobile distributions uh, in order to yeah, have a product that's more ready. And then they had those things had a branding on the back cover uh, by that project. And the project got like uh, $10 of the price of um, the phone. Basically, that's what Pine64 donated to those projects. And first they had the UbiPorts You Want to Touch Community Edition. Um, because that was the project that was arguably the most ready yet. Well, somewhat they were, but since the PinePhone is using a mainline kernel, 
uh, they had to redo a bunch of things. And so the Pine phone is not developed on the usual Ubuntu Touch cycle. And mm. yeah, but that's a, no, a whole long different... I don't know. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> so next one uh, was the Postmarket OS Community Edition. Postmarket OS is a project that also launched in 2017. And they are tr trying to aim for a 10 years uh, life cycle of mobile uh, devices. And they chipped with Fosh, which is the name of this uh, GNOME-based or largely GNOME-based uh, software stack that Purism is developing. Next up were Manjaro. Manjaro is quite popular, uh, I think. They also shipped with Fosh, Purism's stack. Then we had the KDE Community Edition, which was based on Manjaro Plasma Mobile. So that's when the first time Plasma Mobile shipped. And after that, they shipped um, the Mo as, as the last community edition, the Mobian community edition. That also shipped with Fosh again. So sounds like Fosh is the hot, the hot kid on the block. Just yeah, to, that's I'm, what I wanted to imply mixed, with this. <laughs> mixed metaphor. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's what I'm using too here uh, most of the time. So I've I've been testing a bunch of distributions and. While I'm still having um, an old iPhone with me most of the time, the Pine phone is more and more yeah, uh, transitioning. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do more and more things on it. So you, um, got, you got your iPhone for scooters and banking. Yeah, not for banking because with banking, I because I backed the Librem 5 in 2017, I knew that I could never go with a with an app based bank, right? Oh wow! So you have to like plan <laughs> plan your life around this. Yeah, I've planned my life around this. I really did. So, um, but yeah, I, I need I need the iPhone for the scooters, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. So, arguably, I would say, even though if you buy a Pine phone now, the beta edition, it ships with Plasma Mobile. Arguably, Forge is more ready yet for daily driver use because, well, depending on your cellular carrier uh, and, yeah, so CDMA carriers don't work very well is for what I'm hearing. But then I think um, in the U.S. it's generally a bit difficult with all these, um, well, uh, this device isn't certified, so you can't use it on your own network. Bullshit. Uh, that's happening over there in Europe. We are much more lucky uh, with uh, well, you just put your SIM into the device, and if it works, you're you're fine. Um, I feel like that's gotten a lot better here. I I, I know that there's still some. I've heard that it's, it's gotten unlocking. a bit worse lately with with AT and T. Oh really? Be one of your GSM providers, but T-Mobile supposedly should work but yeah pe different people have mixed results and then there are all these uh mvnos right these uh, virtual network operators right uh with tons of names and i always uh, have to google okay which one, one which network does boost mobile actually use right so on 
and it matters. Fun. It really matters. Fun, fun reading those uh, support threads. But yeah, so I have SMS and calls working reliably. I even get spam calls every then and now, and um, audio is okay. Do you wait? Do you, do you swap your SIM back and forth, or how do you do that? I have two SIMs of the same number. No different numbers. Oh, but, interesting. Yeah, it's so yeah. But it's uh, would be better to have two of this uh, same number, but then uh, that would cost me more money. So I don't. <laughs> do my um, uh, my Pine phone. I've I've been like kind of slowly setting this up while we've been talking, um, and I just booted up, and it's a very colorful screen. Now I've got a huge list of time zones, and it's taking forever to scroll through. Oh, so you're in that initial setup process of your PinePhone beta edition, I take it. Yeah, I got the the beta. Yeah, yeah. Which operating system am I running? That's Manjaro Plasma Mobile. And okay. to be frank, I hope that it uh, survives the initial update. Because I had that fail sometimes uh, with that OS. But, but yeah. the goal is to get a Fosh... A Fosh not... Yeah, I, here. it feels more. It's it's more solid in my testing. Right. Which one specifically do you use? I use uh, something called Dynamix Mobile. It's um a port port of Arch Linux ARM to the Pine Phone, which is available in Plasma Mobile. Dynamix. <laughs> yeah, D A N C T N I X. Um. It's Arch Linux ARM for the Pine Phone. Okay. Um, I'm using that because it's uh, I, I I just like like to run Arch Linux because I know how to package for that. And since I'm testing lots of software for my uh, for the app list I took over, um, it's advantageous if I can build, uh, write those package build scripts and not not mess up my my phone entirely. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I've been meaning to try, try, try Arch. Um, so yeah, what, what you, so you you maintain a uh, so your 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 site. You have these like weekly roundups, and you just have yeah. like basically everything that has happened in this whole scene, which is very helpful. Um, and then you also do some extra blog posts. Like you had a really uh, really helpful one on on the PinePhone Pro. Um, that has kind of laid out all the the different specs and and some uh, theories and uh, basically all the thoughts <laughs> that needed to be thought about the PinePhone Pro. Um, but you said you have a software list as well. Yeah, I've got an app list. Um, it's also linked on my blog. And the problem with that app list it is um, yeah, it doesn't really work well. On, if you want to access it right now, you can uh, find it under linuxphoneapps.org. Also, that's shorter than the other URL. Um, so it's I, I took it over by someone else from someone else who uh, started this, and then stopped working on it. And I've extended it so it currently lists uh, 316 apps, uh, but it's all you know loading as a CSV file in JavaScript 
And on the Pinefront, that or also on the Librem 5, while it's somewhat mobile compliant, it takes forever to load mm. because JavaScript. <laughs> so I'm trying to replace that by something else, but I've been also working on, um, which has done individual pages for apps. Um, but yeah, that's a work in progress and it's, I hope to finish some kind of, of it this year, but not sure how it's going. So it's that at alpha.linuxphoneapps.org. Um, it only has five apps for now and I haven't done mm -hmm. anything on it in a month or so. But, yeah. So what are some, um, Standouts. I see Electrum, Bitcoin clients on it. Yeah, like what are some stand sort of some standouts of like apps that like um you just really like using or that like you feel like this is kind of an only on Linux sort of situation. <laughs> only on Linux. Well, like, like, well, like desktop the, Firefox like, for one. Uh, I don't okay. have it listed, but um, desktop Firefox has been adapted. Uh, I think the post-marketers community did the initial effort there. Um, so they supply Firefox with a configuration that makes it work on these phones reasonably well. Um, so that's a feature that you don't have on other phones, right? You don't get to use a desktop browser. Sadly, with Chrome, the story isn't that great because uh, Chrome... And Wayland, which is used for a Fosh and Plasma Mobile, that's not working too well yet. So that's mm. sometimes a bit crashy in my testing. But I haven't tested it this month, so it might be better now. Um, who knows? Can you theoretically just run any any desktop Linux yeah. app, and it's just not not it's not adapted to a phone UI, but you could just just pop you it can. open. You can, and there, there are tricks to make it fit the screen, but then maybe the UI elements get too small to use. Um, you can also plug both the Pine phone and the Librem 5 into a USB-C thingy and then connect it to a monitor, so a large display. Mm. So it doesn't work with 4K screens, I think, but uh, if you've got some 1080p or a like screen, that should work fine. Actually, I actually feel like I see a lot of that on Twitter. Like, look, yeah. look, like I'm I'm running this as a as a desktop. That's a, it's, a, it's got to be a pretty slow desktop, but yeah. Because if but you're in the if you're in the terminal, does that kind of like? Does it feel like you're just on a, in a, on a regular computer? In the terminal, yes. There's also, aside from Fosh Plasma Mobile and Ubuntu Touch, uh, there's a different UI that was developed on the PinePhone or for the PinePhone specifically, and that's based around uh, suckless software, um, which is very minimalist software. So that's called SXMO. And which stands for simple X mobile, but it's not simple to use if you ever used a smartphone <laughs> before. It's a bit, bit fun. And uh, when I 
first did a video on that on YouTube, uh, I really had trouble to to get it to do anything that I wanted it to do, and I've slowly adapted to it. And that thing now also has a Valent variant SWMO, so simple Valent mobile, I guess. Um, and that thing is quite nice in this. Uh, I'm connecting a monitor to the phone because because of the software being so small and just using, I don't know, like maybe 250 megabytes of RAM or under 200 even uh, after it's booted up. Uh, then you've got all the three gigabytes or two gigabytes, almost all of that left, right, for applications. Mm. Because running out of memory, that's not fun. But then you can use it for light web browsing, I think, connected to a monitor and the terminal and do a lot of stuff. I, I wrote a blog post about SWMO on SWMO. So that's quite interesting for that purpose. But yeah, other than that, I'm I'm still on Fosh, which uses a bit more RAM, but uh, is much more like your standard phone UI and right. I find that easier to to grok. So, yeah, I'm looking at SXMO. I think uh, one of my friends on Twitter <laughs> put this up and uh, I don't know, it feels like is there something about this that like if I was running this I'd feel like, well this is why I have a Linux phone. Like yeah, I can't communicate with people very effectively or you know I, I, I i'm not i can't write a scooter but i have like a like a tiling window manager or i have something like i have something very different uh, yeah very unique yeah. and that's kind of exciting you've got a tiling window manager you've got scripts you can uh, run uh, terminal apps as a first class citizen um, mm. if you would want that um, so it has its audience. Um, I like it, and I find it super nerdy, but it's not really for me. So I'm not there yet. You know, I'm not my, uh, not a true enough Linux user yet. Apparently, send text all these via years. SSH using your favorite text editor. Yeah, you can. You can also then, if you're running as WMO or SXMO, you can. You want to send a text message to a friend? You can just. SSH in to your phone from your computer and write that SMS message easily from your computer and stuff like that. Uh, so, mm, yeah, if you consider that a feature, then that's great. Uh, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm always using Signal on my desktop. That's, I'm, a bit, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, Signal, for example, is, is where, where this is, where li using a Linux phone is still difficult because yeah. for Signal, You've got options, but yeah, it's a bunch of bad options. So some people have been running Signal Desktop on the Pine phone, okay. which works in landscape orientation somewhat. Okay. Uh, it doesn't really fit the screen well or work well at all if you're using it like you normally hold a, hold a smartphone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's workable right. in landscape. Uh, then there's a project that's called Axolotl. Uh, that had it's you know a third party app to Signal, so when Signal changes something, they have to play catch up. Um, that's why uh, signing up was recently broken. 
and group messaging is still a problem, but one one on one messaging works fine with it, and I I use it for that. Um, uh, so I just googled Axolotl, and it came up on Open Store, and and says for Open uh, Ubuntu Touch apps. But is, is yeah. it, are there other app stores that, that that you're using for for getting these apps? Or you said you're packaging yeah, not, stuff with Arch yourself? Not not that's that's a key problem. That's why I created that app list that. Uh, Purism is really working hard on that to solve this um, so that because we're on Plasma Mobile you're using Discover which is their standard software store or, well it's not really a store because you don't buy anything there but yeah you would call it a software store on other platforms and on uh, Fosh it's GNOME software okay. similar thing but those uh, don't really filter yet normally for the form factor so there are standards around app metadata, uh, and those have been extended so that it should be possible relatively soon, uh, depending on how developers adopt that, uh, that we don't need an app list like mine anymore because you can see all those apps that you can install on your distribution at least, mm. and that work well with mobile in this uh, discover or gnome software app but we are not there yet um and i feel like this is going to while i have the hope that it could all be all be solved like uh, mid next year i don't i doubt it will be <laughs> right <laughs> so this is going to take a long time yeah, it seems Axolotl, like a it's packaged for a bunch of other distributions um I think it's on the Arch user repository. So it's been packaged for Debian. And those Debian packages can be installed on Arch too. And those work quite well. So that's what I'm using there. Because, you know, it's Vue.js and Go. And you don't want to compile that on your Pine phone. It would take forever. Mm. Yeah, so we're getting close to two hours. And I feel like... um, you've kind of hit on a little bit of a good theme that, that we could close up on is just like, you know, what are your expectations? You seem like, I mean, you've been in this for a really long time and you seem like you've gotten pretty good at like, uh, keeping, uh, relatively low expectations, but you're still like, it doesn't sound like you've canceled your, your Librem five pre-order. Um, and you know, like you're, you're, you're still in it. You're still, um, uh, uh, trying these things out, listing these apps, writing this blog. So, so you know, like what what keeps you at it, and then what are you kind of looking forward to, and 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 what what are your kind of hopes for this ecosystem? I hope uh, that with the, um, I hope that the Pineful Pro will turn out well. First of all, okay, because we don't really know that yet. Um, um, the thing. What's really holding it back for me? Uh, sorry, that's my alarm clock because that's the time I usually go wake up. Me Perfect time. Off. So, uh, yeah, it's early. Thank you, by the way, for doing this. Waking up real early to, to yeah, to no problem. Cross time um, zones. So, what I'm hoping for is that people don't burn up, burn out, and keep on working on this because I feel like we're. Uh, really close um, 
to have this working for some people at least. So just today, earlier today, I retweeted an announcement by Element, which is the company that works on Matrix, that they are launching a paid service that integrates Signal, for example, and Telegram. Mm. So And WhatsApp, which is popular in Europe. So that, I don't know how well that, I, I would guess it works with every Matrix app. So And if it does, then it should work really well uh, on these Linux phones and solve a bunch of problems for $5 a month. <laughs> but, but that, yeah. seems, that seems worth it. That seems worth it, yeah. Because, I mean, you could do all that by self-hosting, but uh, honestly, uh, the nerves that takes, and you mm -hmm. have to learn how to do that, and oh no. You can do it, but uh, if you don't have to, that's nice sometimes. And well, Matrix's that... mantra is, is embrace, extend, and extinguish, right? So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so they took that you, from Microsoft. So you get, <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm joking, but yeah, yeah. So you, you get all, all those uh, protocols in there, and then you just like, you know what? I'll just chat over Matrix. Yeah. Like if all, my, if if... all my signal friends were on Matrix, I think I'd just talk to them on Matrix. Yeah, that, that will make things easier. So developments like that are helping. And uh, new hardware uh, is helping. Uh, there's also with uh, Ubuntu Touch and PostMarketOS, uh, you might, dear listener, have a device in your drawer or might have a device that you're actually still using uh, that can run one of these mobile Linuxes, Linux OSs. Um, there's another blog called tuxphones.com and the guy behind that maintains a pretty good uh, device list. So that's one to check out. And I think this, this ecosystem is developing overall quite nicely. And if you're willing to compromise and if you're saying like, well, okay, then I won't ride those scooters, um, or you're willing to carry a second phone just for scooters, uh, then <laughs> it might work for many people soon. For now, it's just really fun if you like to play with software, if you like to discover, because that's what I'm doing with, with the app list. I, I'm really just looking for projects on all those different code code hosting platforms and then I'm uh, trying to build them and if I manage to <laughs> I will add them to my list <laughs> uh, so Fair. yeah it's it's a field where you can really experiment uh, where you can have better privacy with regards to security like I said I'm not sure whether if you really want high security whether Graphene OS is not a better choice mm -hmm. for now, at least. Um, but for for privacy and for fun with Linux, this is already great, and I think eventually it's going to be great to use uh, as a general platform too. 
I mean, I, I definitely feel like we are really there with Linux, like on the desktop. Like, I, you know, it is a great experience and I really enjoy it. And I feel like I have about as many problems on Windows and Mac as I have on Pop OS. Um, yeah. So uh, it doesn't, it's definitely not an impossible thing. It is interesting, the PinePhone Pro, and like we haven't talked about it m- much, but this like, you know, was just recently announced. It seems like a, a lot better specs, especially yeah. in the processor. Um, totally. And cameras, because the while the PinePhone can take pictures and the Librem 5 can too, but the Librem 5, it's still fiddly, you know, you have to, adjust uh, gain and exposure manually. <laughs> That's fun. If you quickly want to take a picture. Uh, yeah. Um, the five, PinePhone has a five megapixel camera. So need, need nice. I say more? <laughs> so, so, so the, so, but the, 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 the PinePhone Pro, like, like that processor might make JavaScript not be a phone killer. Um, and I, yes. and I've definitely noticed on Graphene and Calyx that, even if the app store can't help you out, um, that there is an escape patch of web apps a lot of times. So if, if, if web becomes performant enough on these, and I know that's kind of similar case on uh, Linux desktop sometimes as well. Yeah. Um, so if the web can become a bit of an escape hatch, um, to patch over like any missing software, um, that could be, um, that could be exciting, but you'd totally. you'd need a, a a relatively powerful modern processor to to pull that off. And those are those are hard to get. So um, a lot of people always ask why isn't why aren't Pine six four why isn't Purism uh, why aren't they using like the latest Qualcomm system on a chip? Mm-hmm. And the problem with Qualcomm system on a chips is that they have not a very long shelf life. And you need to have a pretty large order volume, larger than what Pine64 and Purism usually order to get those ships even. So there was this company uh, called FX Tech, um, which is also going to be uh, also a Linux phone. So they, I think they are shipping it. The Pro 1X, it launched, uh, I think they made a bit of blitz with XDA developers and it's running lineage and Ubuntu touch and but it's they are also working on mainline kernel support for it and that thing was going to launch with the Qualcomm Snapdragon 835 which is the thing that was in the Pixel 2 mm-hmm. and then they sadly couldn't get those ships anymore and they had to rebase on a different uh, system on a chip while they were making those and those uh, that that really delayed their crowdfunder and them shipping out devices so that maybe illustrates that this is actually a problem and i'm not just making this up <laughs> yeah. um it's not some <laughs> grand conspiracy by yeah. you so uh that's now interesting six- that the, that they still can't get 835s. I mean, there are other yeah. chips as well. Um, like if you go to yeah, but, Target but, or Walmart, there yeah, are me- other... MediaTek uh, and Unisoc as two China, large Chinese uh, phone SOC vendors are really 
from what I hear, really terrible with uh, kernel development. Right. So you, you need really you need best don't in class kernel development. Yeah. In this, in this situation. And so if you want to run a Linux kernel, those are basically not really an option. Um, talking of Qualcomm, the OnePlus 6 and 6T and the Xiaomi Pocophone F1 have pretty decent ports of PostMarketers and Mobian. Uh, PostMarket OS is Alpine-based, and they support a bunch of devices, um, which are also pretty close to being daily driver-ready. As far as I know, call audio doesn't work yet. So, yeah, not quite. But after that, they're going to be really great and affordable options because you can those get those used for, I don't know, like 150 bucks maybe on eBay. I mean, that, that really is the dream. Like, to think of how many phones people go through in the discard and like it bugs me that you know all my old phones aren't running as variants of like a raspberry pi right now you know yeah i don't have like a little server farm of my phone <laughs> Your old phones um yeah but they're so i mean there really is that aspect of linux on phone that it's not just about carrying a phone around that doesn't let you ride scooters, but also like <laughs> it turns into a server at your home, you know? Yeah, that's something you can do on, on many devices that uh, won't work as a phone yet with PostMarketers or similar. So you can just get, get like boot them and, and SSH if, into them basically. If a kernel runs on them, you could use them as a tiny little home server, I don't know, nice. uh, for like. Would you would you want to connect to Pi-hole over Wi-Fi? I don't think so. But maybe uh, if you've got an old printer that isn't fully wireless yet, you could use it for that or something. If you've got USB host, so yeah, uh, tons of caveats there too. But reusing things is generally possible, and if you're creative enough and well well versed with browsing github and installing software <laughs> randomly then you can do tons of things uh, and also really pull your hair out sometimes but yeah i mean something somehow you need to get rid of those hairs don't you that's right that's right they're they're I mean, not do, they're do, not going to stay there forever do you want to pay for haircuts your whole life <laughs> think of the money you can save if you pull your hair out hair out early <laughs> with mobile linux no, it's not that bad all right you've sold me <laughs> i'll get this i'll get this uh pine phone set up and uh i'll uh, i'll report back on my my progress but uh yeah, I, peter i really to get in touch if you've got questions <laughs> really appreciate your time really appreciate uh your blog everybody needs the check this out subscribe you know, follow you on on twitter if you if you yeah. know what rss I'm, is you can i'm i guess i'm at linbob blog on twitter i'm also on mastodon uh at linbob at fosterdon.org okay and yeah uh yeah and then there's all sorts of yeah i'll obviously i'll have um links to like the app list and um yeah, yeah and, and all the stuff I do is usually linked on my blog. So I, I try to keep that as the central hub I control. It's at linmob.net. That's the first three letters of Linux and mobile, each <laughs> combined, and then .net, because it's on the network. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I'll... Um...
forget what my sign off of this podcast is because it's been <laughs> really long since I've done an episode. But I appreciate everyone who uh, tuned in. Uh, let me know if, uh, like, uh, what other topics you'd like uh, me to cover now that I'm come out of retirement <laughs> and, um, I'll see everybody on Twitter. Thank you so much Paul, for having me. Have, yeah, thank you. Have a good one.